Well, we're actually going to turn to someone who I've already mentioned on this show tonight. That's Vijay Prashad, the executive director of the Tri-Continental Institute, who himself is engaged in a little conspiracy over the slap. Vijay, thank you so much for being with us. <laughs> it's a pleasure to be with you. Thanks for having me. Yes. <laughs> I'm sorry we have to talk about things that are not exactly slap worthy, but no, this no, no. is really worse than a slap what we're going to talk yeah. about i think it's way way worse it seems like it's only getting worse i mean you know one of the things that has obviously been a big theme this week is the the growing ripple effects from the massive sanctions regime and from the war itself biden spoke at a press conference today he is now calling all of the economic challenges happening in the United States, quote unquote, Putin's price hikes. But obviously we're looking at hunger. I mean, I know you've been writing a lot about this, VJ, but it does feel that, you know, now as we get into the second month, really more of the story is starting to become that all around the world, there's some very serious challenges starting to emerge. Well, you know, um, there's no doubt that the question of fuel prices and food prices is going to be the dominant theme uh, for most people outside perhaps Europe and North America, where the focus is still on the war. Um, I interviewed people in Central Asia um, around the president of Kazakhstan, for instance, who gave a State of the Union address last week um, in which he basically called for reconstructing Kazakhstan's food sovereignty. Um, Kazakhstan, uh, Turkmenistan, these Central Asian republics are going to be hit immediately because their economies are yoked to Russia. I mean, that's a normal uh, situation since they are right bordering Russia, landlocked countries which rely on Russian ports uh, for the exit of their own energy uh, resources. When they sell energy to the world, it goes through uh, the ports in Russia. And so they have been hit terribly hard. You know, uh, I was told in Uzbekistan, 65% of an average person's bill, their income goes to food. This is going to increase by five, 6%. That's catastrophic for people. It's catastrophic. COVID inflation combined with Ukraine inflation is going to create chaos across the global south. Yeah, you know, Vijay, I think I mentioned this when we, you and I talked a few weeks ago on Dispatches. Shout out to Dispatches. Um, but, the, you know, we talked about the, the ripple effects uh, on the Global South. And I mentioned that just being in Lebanon, you know, the uh, price of, of oil has already risen. And it was already so expensive here because the government reduced subsidies. And I'm not suggesting that the Global South is in a position to handle the coming crises better. I don't think the global South is in a position to, but I think it's going to really shock the global North um, because usually the global North is quite, because it's the imperialist core is quite immunized uh, from these sorts of shocks. But when we see what's happening with Russia saying that you have to purchase our oil and gas in rubles, it looks like the Europeans are saying no to that so far. Uh, there's, you know, I'm hearing from my family in the U S that the price of everything had already gone up pretty dramatically even a month ago, even two months ago, and now it's increasing even more. We're hearing about price hikes in Germany. What do you think this is going to do to politics in the global north? Because you're talking about economic recessions, really, that are affecting the average person uh, in ways that none of the governments of these countries, despite how wealthy they are, 
seem to be willing willing to even foot the bill for. I mean, they weren't willing to foot the bill during COVID, really, especially in the U.S. Um, and they seem to be telling everyone that well, freedom has a price, and the freedom, you know, <laughs> that the freedom that we have to protect from Russia, I guess, is the price of you have to pay a lot more money for everything. How do you think that's gonna that's gonna you know, what are the consequences going to be on politics in, in Europe and the U.S.? Well, in the United States, there's actually a little more room uh, for maneuver because the U.S. is largely um, food secure. You know, food imports, especially things like wheat and so on, are not a big part of the average person's bill. There'll be inflation, but that inflation was largely due to the COVID supply shock. You know, that's why the food... Mm -hmm. Uh, price of goods was, had gone up before. The United States is also fuel um, sufficient. In, in other words, the United States is going to be relatively cushioned from this. It's Europe that's going to be hit hard because Europe relies on um, Russian natural gas and oil, for instance, not only for fuel, but also as an input for fertilizer, which means long-term food production in Europe is going to be damaged. Um, Europe relies on grain supplies from Ukraine. I mean, between Ukraine and Russia, 23%, roughly, maybe a little more, of world grain supplies come from just these two countries. Uh, you know, you talked about Lebanon. In 2010, there was a drought that struck Ukraine and Russia and, and various other countries, but the drought in Russia and Ukraine was severe. Many people looking at those uh, two droughts conditions in those countries suggest that the so-called Arab Spring, one of the spurs of it was the drought of 2010. In fact, people in Egypt were on the streets saying, bring down the price of bread. Um, so mm. I think that, in fact, Europe is going to be hit pretty hard. And, you know, it's, it's a question that Europeans need to ask themselves, Rania, which is, look, you know, you're allowing yourself to become the doormat for the ambitions of the United States. Um, you know, U.S. President Joe Biden has said, well, we're going to just open up the spigot of the strategic oil reserve. Well, that's all very well. How are you going to get it to Europe? He says they're going mm -hmm. to sell liquefied natural gas to Europe. You've got to build new terminals for liquefied natural gas. That's not created out of Legos in a day. That's going to take years to construct. So, in fact, in the short term, as now, Europe is going to continue to buy energy from Russia. And eventually, they are going to have to come to an agreement. It could very well be that in the end, they don't insist on a ruble scheme, but they might come up with some other scheme, a barter scheme or something. It's not going to be the case that uh, these countries can pivot so quickly. In fact, the Chancellor of Germany told Mr. Biden, if we ban Russian natural gas now, we will go into a catastrophic recession. That's pretty strong words from a German chancellor. You know, Vijay, I, I think what you're saying there about the question Europeans are asking themselves does sort of remind me of sort of maybe a broader piece of this whole thing, which is, I mean, the need to reconsider how we live, you know, almost as a species on Earth. I mean, you look at so many societies that we saw this with COVID, too, you know, the lack of resilience, the you know, the, the intense income inequality and all these other things that are bad in and of themselves. But then when these major shocks and crises happen, it just becomes supercharged. And, I, you know, it seems to me like this, if 
as much as any other time, I guess, the, to, to reflect on and, and perhaps act on what the, the implications of that are, that we can't just keep going the way things have been going as a world. Well, you know, right after 1991, Eugene, there was a big push that came from the World Bank in particular for basically food market liberalization and globalization. In other words, to allow food uh, production all over the world to be integrated. And, you know, four to six companies began to dominate the world food market. Six multinational companies dominate the world seed market. Uh, that form of globalization earned lots of profits for the big corporations. It also, to some extent, increased food production in some uh, particular crops and so on. There are some advantages to these complementarities. You know, can't entirely dismiss it. What it meant was, Eugene, in the middle of the COVID pandemic, when supply chains were disrupted, it was a wake-up call because integration was all very well. But once the supply chains began to collapse, integration is a nightmare. And that's why you have president of Kazakhstan, you have presidents in, um, in Africa talking about, you know, I mean, I was quite struck by fairly conservative presidents in West Africa talking about the need for food sovereignty, not only food security, which is a Treaty of Rome phrase, but they're using terms like food sovereignty. And, you know, it's one thing, Eugene, you know, when the United States attacked Iraq in 2003, there was a problem because um, oil from Iraq went offline. Well, at that point, Saudi Arabia could just pump more oil out of the ground. And Saudi Arabia became, in a sense, the insurance policy. Uh, when you attack or sanction an oil country like sanctioning Venezuela, Saudi Arabia is always available to pump more oil. You can't pump wheat out of the ground. You can't pump rice out of the ground. You can't just bring, there's no country that provides, you know, insurance for food markets. So I think it's going to raise, and it is not going to, I'm sorry. It has already raised serious questions among poorer countries in particular about becoming more food independent, less dependent on the supply chain. And, you know, this is a horrible period. Wars are terrible. This is a terrible war. But if that's an outcome from this, I think that could be very useful for the world because 2.7 billion people were struggling with hunger before this mm. war. The number will rise. And I think we need to put hunger as the number one issue uh, for human beings as we go forward. And, and I think this is a wake-up call for many countries. Yeah, you know, on that note, VJ, it does seem like there is something major shifting right now um, in the sense that you have so many countries around the world, despite the fact we keep hearing, you know, the international community stands against Russia, the vast majority of the world has actually abstained from really taking a side here. You can see that with the refusal to join in the sanctions, which, you know, is really just the US, Europe, Japan, Canada, Australia. The rest of the world is much larger than that, both in population and just geographical size. Um, but, you know, while we kind of see even client states of the US in the global south kind of refusing to take a side here, there just seems to be so many calamities taking place at the same time. Like we have this oil shock and this financial shock and this cold war and this hot war. Do you, you know, maybe this is too big a thing to say, but does it seem to you like there's a kind of system that's that's collapsing right now? Um, 
even if that collapse is going to be a long one and a painful one, it does seem like something is coming to an end. Well, to be honest with you, Rania, I think that the unraveling started a long time ago. I mean, the Iraq war of 2003 was one indication of unraveling. It was major overreach by the United States. You know, now the uh, press, New York Times and others are talking about, um, you know, the Russian army being bogged down, unable to take Kiev, overreach of Russia. I mean, I've read this story before, um, but not in the New York Times. <laughs> I read the story, story in Alakbar. I read the story in the Indian <laughs> press during the war uh, in Iraq, when the United States had a very difficult time, um, you know, in a sense, not only capturing Iraq, you remember that war went on for years. I mean, you have to include the two battles for Fallujah and so on. Um, that war went on for years. It wasn't just weeks and even weeks. You remember when the troops left Kuwait, they were bogged down in a sandstorm for, for I think, I think it was over a week. The, the sandstorm stopped the, the transit. So the United States bombarded um, Baghdad with the heavy artillery from the skies, which is bombers and so on, and cruise missiles, terrible, violent bombing of Baghdad, all forgotten now because the press is basically focused on the Russian bombing of, of, of Ukrainian cities in a way as amnesia for U.S. bombing of mm -hmm. other cities. But I don't want to get into that. The point I'm trying to make is this unraveling was from Iraq, from the war in Iraq, from the financial crisis of 2007, from the emergence of um, the Chinese Belt and Road Initiative. We're in the middle of a lot of shifting around. But I don't want to exaggerate the situation at all. Um, this is a moment of deep contradictions. You know, a country like India is actually excellent here. India continues to be part of the U.S. policy of encircling China, part of the Quad with Japan and Australia and the United States. India continues to be in the Quad. So that's on the one side. On the other side, India has a very complicated relationship with Russia. The government does not want to condemn what the Russians are doing in Ukraine. Um, it's not because India, it's not only because India imports um, large amounts of its defense equipment, what is known as defense equipment, but basically war machinery from Russia. 60% of India's uh, military imports come from Russia. It's not merely because of that. It's also because India is keen not to see, and this is my understanding from talking to people in the external affairs division in India, people are keen not to see um, a conflict with a major nuclear power escalate out of control. Uh, people are very scared of this. You know, yes, there have been previous wars, the war on Iraq and so on. But the war in Iraq in 2003 did not include two nuclear powers, you know, um, which might get into even a so-called accidental clash. Now, India and Pakistan have been to war with each other since both have had nuclear weapons. That's true. Um, they both tested nuclear weapons in 1998, and then they went to war in 1999. Very bad timing, fellas. Very bad timing. But fortunately, <laughs> yeah. that was an engagement that took place in the Kargil area uh, in Kashmir. It was contained, fortunately. It didn't escalate out of control, but it could have. And many of us were very worried at the time. So I think there's a, this is a moment of great contradiction, not clarity. I don't think we can say, you know, we're moving from a unipolar world to a multipolar world or anything like that. I think that's premature. 
we are at a time of great um, motion. I'm not sure which direction it's going to go in. You know, the reason I hesitate from saying U.S. unipolarity is over, Rania, is because the U.S. still has 800 military bases around the world. It still has a forward policy that no other country can match. Recently, the mm. Solomon Islands, just you know, a couple of days ago, decided to sign an agreement with the Chinese. This is a very significant development because it's China's attempt to break away from this first island chain that the U.S. is setting up in the Pacific to encircle the Chinese. United States has basically built a wall around China. Uh, just because they signed one agreement with the Solomon Islands doesn't mean weakness in the U.S. military posture. We can't let our eyes off the fact that the United States continues to be the most powerful and aggressive country in the world. Um, and they are not going to let any new world order appear without a major fight. These are very, very dangerous people. Mr. Biden might somehow sometimes sound incoherent, but he's a very dangerous man. No, I think that point is very well taken and notable right after that Solomon's Islands, Islands deal in Australia. The whole thing became, should Australia invade the Solomon Islands to check China? Well, Vijay Prashad, as always, deeply appreciate having you here. Tricontinental putting out excellent things on all of these issues, including on hunger, but appreciate some of your very valuable time here on the Freedom Side. Thanks a lot.